Very excited about uh, this message. We are not doing a book of the Bible this morning. We're doing the first of what we call essential elements of the Bible. We're looking at doctrines or concepts that give us a sense of why we can trust the Bible, why it's reliable, how it came to us, how it's been preserved, how it's been collected and come down to us in a way that we can have confidence in. This morning we're looking at the doctrine of inspiration, and we're going to look at the Bible compared to some other bestsellers of all time. In uh, September of last year, Newsweek, I guess after the pandemic and people having a few extra hours, people working remotely instead of spending hours commuting in their cars, people found things to do with a little bit of the extra time. Some people got into the outdoors, which is great. People took up hobbies, and apparently people started to read more than they had with those extra hours. And Newsweek looked at those books that over all time were the top sellers. Number six, and I started number six just because everybody loves this one, and I started with this also because you'll be interested to see out of the top six, there are a couple that were written by Christians, and it's interesting that they have also found widespread popularity. Of course, C.S. Lewis wrote The Lion, the Witch, and The Wardrobe. Number five, and then there were none by Agatha Christie, or Ten Little Indians is another title for that. hundred million copies sold. This you might not be aware of, maybe you are, but it's an uh, 18th century book called Dream of the Red Chamber. It's Chinese fiction, and it tells a story about a prince, I guess it is, that had these dreams, and I have no idea what it's about. But course with China uh, there's a lot of people that live there that's a hundred million copies sold the little prince and if you know French you can tell me who the author is I would not be able to pronounce that also coming in at a hundred million number two should be no surprise Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone JK Rowling everybody's cheering all the all the people under uh, like 18 17 are probably cheering about this a hundred and twenty million copies and Probably due to the influence of movies, and to be so, no surprise, that The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien came in at 140.6 million copies sold. Yeah, I was going to say there's going to be some cheers somewhere along the line. Now, Newsweek, in the beginning of this article, stated from the outset that they would not be including the Bible or the Quran, the Book of Mormon, or the quotations of, Mao, of Chairman Mao Zedong. Because many of those copies were not bought and sold, but printed and given away. So those didn't count. If somebody didn't actually put their hard-earned dollars down to buy that, then they weren't going to count it. I have to beg the question, didn't somebody have to pay to print those? Even if they were given away, doesn't that count? For instance, you might be unsurprised that with about a billion people that the Chinese Communist Party would be glad to print lots and lots and lots of the Little Red Book by Chairman Mao and hand that out freely and profusely. Not surprised that uh, that came in at about 800 million copies. The Koran, of course, also close to a billion people in the world are followers of Islam. They also uh, came in at 800 million copies. Then there is, of course, the Bible. Uh, Guinness Book of World Records says that the Bible has been produced up to 5 billion times in history. And we know many of those uh, were sold. 
but if you notice, that's 6.25 times the number of copies of the Quran or Chairman Mao's Little Red Book. It is expansive. It is ubiquitous, the amount of copies of the Bible in human history. Now, I would say that with the advent of digital copies and the advent of, remember I said this was in 1995 that World Book put those numbers out. What happened since 1995? Oh man, an explosion of the information age and that little thing, I don't have it in my pocket, but you have it in yours, called a what? Cell phone, iPads, Kindles, all kind of other digital ways that the Bible has been produced and given out many times freely. Nobody had to buy it. So likely that 5 billion number could have in the last 25 years even doubled, possibly. This morning we want to look at the fact that there is still some work to do. We all know we have multiple copies in our house. That doesn't mean we've necessarily been into them. The profuse availability of the Bible doesn't mean necessarily that, that people have actually engaged the Bible. We hope they have. We hope we have. And we're in this series because we want to get you more engaged with the Word of God. Wycliffe Bible Translators has long been involved in that, and there is still work to do. If you go to the website, they said there's 1.5 billion people in the world that don't have an entire copy of the Bible in their language. 1.5 billion. There are 145 million who don't have any of the scriptures at all in their language, not even a page. And there are even, this was surprising, I didn't even think about this, there are 350 different sign languages that are still in need of a video version of the Bible so they can actually see the Bible produced in a way that they can understand it readily. What makes the Bible in such demand? Why have people given their lives to translate it into just one dialect? I've actually met some of these people that are with Wycliffe or with New Tribes that they have basically sat down, lived with people, and many times had to take an audio language, create their own alphabet and words and writing, then teach the people how to read their own language in some way, translating that scripture into a way that they now have it for themselves. Why have people so generously given their money to have Bibles printed and given them away freely? Why have some people risked their lives and some even lost their lives for just having a page or two of the Bible in their possession? It's actually happened probably many, many times. What is it that makes the Word of God so unique? What causes such a powerful attraction? I believe it is the most important uniqueness it is that God, the author, speaks directly to those who wrote it and who read it today. There is something miraculous about the Word of God, not so much these words on the page, but what comes alive as we read them, as the Spirit of God does something fresh as we come to understand them. There are some other uniquenesses of the Bible. It's 35 to 45 authors, and the reason that number is not nailed down is there's parts of the Bible that we don't really know who wrote them, like the book of Judges. Did the judges keep their own chronicles, or did Ezra later put them together as a part of history, as he did with some other books? We don't really know. It's not ever notated. There are some other writers you don't even think about. If you turn through the book of Psalms, you'll see lots and lots of Psalms that don't say they're written by David. They say they're written by some other people. Asaph has quite a few of them. And so we talk about people who, in this doctrine of inspiration, people who are used by God to put down in writing things that God puts into the hearts and minds. 
it's a little bit of a movable list. It was written over a period of 1,500 years, which makes it an extraordinary one-of-a-kind book. The Koran can't say that. The Book of Mormon can't say that. As a matter of fact, we'll talk about that in a second. But we have all these different writers over 1,500 years period of time, three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, across people that lived in three different continents who had different backgrounds, walks of life, experiences, levels of intellectual training and scholastic training versus people who were just humble farmers or shepherds or it goes on and on and on and yet there is no substantial disagreement on fact or teaching across those 66 books it's truly extraordinary how could that happen well in essence the doctrine of inspiration tells us because there is really only one author using the means of very different, diverse people to accurately hear, understand, and record what God was instructing them to say or write. The uniqueness of the Bible, it's a manner of divine communication. The fact is, God does communicate. If we go back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16 and 17, we've already read in chapter 1, if you know the progress of Genesis 1 and 2, you know that God has spoken, and this creation came into being by his very spoken word. The word of his power brought forth light and separated light from darkness and formed a world and put all that is in it and all that is in the universe as we now know it by the spoken word of God. But God was also personally speaking. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, one of the first things God said that is recorded in the Bible is that he spoke to man when he put him in the garden and he gave him a commandment. And he said, this is all yours to enjoy except for this one thing. Obey me in that. We also indicate in Genesis chapter 3, after man had sinned, and we also see that being made in the image of God gives us a wonderful gift, that is the gift of communication. And extraordinarily, we see whatever the circumstances were in the garden, that during the temptation of Eve, she's able to converse with the serpent and speak understandably. And it says that as God came to them and they hid themselves, he was walking and they heard him in the cool of the evening and they hid themselves. I like to think that there's kind of an implication there, you know, stands on it very firmly, but I think there was probably an implication that God had times of communication with Adam and Eve. That there was meant to be some fellowship. There was meant to be some exchange between them. That God would be in the process of helping these first parents of humanity know him. And after the fall, that was not the normal course. Man is hid ever since, away from wanting to hear God speak or be around him or understand him the best we can. But God continues to patiently and personally speak to us. In the Bible, the phrase, thus says the Lord, occurs 425 times, and the phrase, God said, occurs 500 times. Do you think God wants to say something to us? Again and again and again, we see this characteristic of God that he wants to communicate to us personally. He also communicates to us prophetically. I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the Gospels. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Because as we talk about these essentials over time, we'll be talking about things like the authority of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, the means of communication and the use of human agency to record what God communicated. 
I love this passage because it shows one of these points of authority is the fact that Jesus uh, verified, used, and affirmed the authority of Scripture, even prophetically. Notice Luke chapter 4, verse 14. This is right after Jesus was tempted. He begins his ministry. He goes back to his hometown, Nazareth. He returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him, and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Like, by way of surprise. Now, that sounds all great, but of course, if you read the next few verses, Jesus begins to push the point even more that he is the fulfillment of that scripture. And that's his purpose. That's why he's there. And he went on to say that you people listening, you think that God only wants to speak to you. But he basically gave a foreshadowing of his ministry to say, no, God's heart is as big as the world. God just happens to be using Israel as the mouthpiece, the means of revelation. But you guys stopped it up. You stopped up the message. It's meant to be much wider. When he went into that, they basically were ready to throw him off the hill and kill him. God communicates prophetically. Jesus affirms that fact even by the fact that he says in many places in the gospel that he was actually fulfilling the very word of God that was predicted centuries before. And there are very popular, famous verse about inspiration we have the word right there we'll look at more shortly but look let's look at the effect in second timothy chapter 3 and we'll read that verse in verse 16 all scripture is inspired by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness that the man of god may be adequate equipped for every good work see one of the things god not only speaks personally prophetically he speaks profitably he speaks to our good he speaks to what he wants to see happen in us and through us and for us because he knows that we are prone to wander and be foolish and do really dumb things it's interesting that that paul breaks this down and again paul writing in an inspired way he breaks this down and god says there's basically four purposes of these 66 books if we want to look at why did god put this together the way he did the first is teaching or doctrine. That is, God says, this is the way. Walk in it. This is what he said from the very first communication to Adam and Eve. You can enjoy all this that I've made. You are my vice ruler over it all. Just don't do this one thing. Very clear. Laid out the path. It's also good for reproof. God doing the merciful thing by saying, you're off the path. You're off the path. You have erred. You've sinned. You have gone astray. We all know there's lots and lots of places in the Bible where God has to do that. And by implication and by direct communication, God says that to us out of his love for us. Basically puts the warning sign up. Don't go any further. You're heading for danger, disaster. 
it's also good for correction because on our own, we wouldn't know how necessarily to get back on the path. God says, repent, turn, go the other direction, get back to the first things. All these things you, you find communicated in the Bible where God is calling us to correct us, to bring us back to where we should be. And then finally, it's for training and righteousness. That's God telling us, this is how you stay on the path. This is how to be steadfast and unmovable. This is how to continue in the things that you've learned and seen. All these kinds of words and, and communications, God is constantly in the process of, I don't know, kind of hurting us like sheep, maybe, so that we're going and following along to his voice, as John says. The Bible is a unique communication because it is marked by the miraculous. It's marked by the miraculous. The fact that even God decided to speak plainly in language we can understand is a phenomenal thing. But the means is also miraculous. Inspiration, this is where we have our doctrine. Right here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the word inspired is Greek word theopneustos, God breathed. God breathed. You ever try that? When you speak, doesn't air continue to be forced out of your lungs past your vocal cords to make a sound and articulate a word? We talked to it about inspiration, which is really the miraculous part, that God speaks in a way that enters into the mind and the heart of a human being who's sinful and flawed, and somehow that communication ends up being transmitted, received, and recorded perfectly. That is a miracle, don't you think? I was saying to the team this morning at the board meeting, we might also call it expiration, because God breathed could be breathing out, which he does toward people, or it could be from the receiver's side, it's breathing into them. God breathed, God spoke, God communicated. Now if you turn over to Second Peter chapter 2, we see a little bit, There'll be another message on this in the future, but we see a little bit about, and we want to introduce this, about this means as well and how it is used and the experience of the people that were used by God, those 35 to 45 people. In 2 Peter chapter 1, and let's look at verse 13. Peter's talking to his audience, and he's very much the shepherd. And he says, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I also will be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. You see the heart of the pastor. This is Peter in a Roman dungeon, soon to be crucified for following Christ, following the dictates of the Roman Empire. You know the story by tradition. Peter says, I'm not worthy to be crucified upright. Turn me upside down. He's crucified upside down according to tradition. But he has this very heavy on his heart. The words I've spoken over the years to you, my audience, I want you to remember them. Because these are not just words of men. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You know what he's remembering? He's remembering the Mount of Transfiguration, correct? Where he and 
James and John were there, and they saw this magnificent experience of the glory of God, which Christ had veiled in his humanity, being kind of pulled out of the way briefly. And to hear this voice from heaven putting affirmation and blessing upon his son. Notice verse 18, And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever been made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It's in a nutshell, God breathed, he picked certain people, not necessarily because of their intellect or anything about themselves, other than the fact that when we studied the book of Daniel, didn't we see many, many times the phrase, and Daniel found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These people were submitted and available to the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts and lives. They were the agency of communication, received from God and recorded, Many times God's speaking directly, sometimes through dreams, sometimes through visions, sometimes God just moving them to make sure that they recorded accurately history so it can be handed down and understood. There's another aspect of this concept of inspiration. The fact is, it's verbally inspired. The Bible is verbally inspired. God has bent low to use common language of mankind to communicate. It's not some heavenly sounds that somehow somebody had some extrasensory ability to interpret and understand God used the language of humans and since he commissioned men to write his words down it should not be a surprise that he uses literary forms to communicate story and narrative oral tradition that was later put down in writing and by the way how did we come to know if Moses wrote the book of Genesis how did we come to know all these things that happened before Moses lived there's some good research that's been done by Bible scholars that show that there are indicators, in the, especially in the first several chapters of Genesis, that this was oral tradition that was eventually recorded and written down. That people have been passing down these stories. And is it not surprising that, like the Gilgamesh epic, we have several stories about a universal flood that have been circulated through numbers of cultures? Well, we know that the version that we have is recorded accurately without error because God breathed it to Moses. Story, narrative, oral tradition, poems, songs, historical records, multiple figures of speech, and on and on and on it goes. God uses it and communicates in a way that we can understand. God is also creative. He doesn't just do it one way. It's really exciting. Especially when we get through some of these books you haven't read in a while, we'll get to talk about that. Now, this is a big doctrinal word, plenarily. God has communicated plenarily. This is a very, very important concept. The word plenary means completely in every aspect, absolutely in an unqualified way. Meaning that just because Ephesians is your favorite book, it's not any more inspired than Nahum. That God didn't do the same miraculous thing when he communicated with Ezra to write down the history of Israel post the exile than he did when he moved the Apostle John to write down Jesus' words in the gospel. Every part of those 66 books from beginning to end is unqualified, inspired, just as much as any other part, and entirely 
through and through. It's very important because Thomas Jefferson really couldn't wrap his mind around this. I've been to Monticello, and I've heard that this has since been moved to the Smithsonian Museum of American History. It's called the Jefferson Bible. And basically, we, of course, we know Jefferson prided himself of being quite an intellectual person, studied, knew several languages, read them in those languages, Greek, Hebrew, Latin, French, others. But he was deluded by his own brilliance. Somehow he thought that he could take the Bible and divine it himself. And as a result, he came away just thinking, well, Jesus is the most important person that I've seen in the Bible. Let's just look at what he had to say. Oh, but by the way, let's take away all the miraculous things that happened. Let's take away the miracles, and most especially, let's take away the resurrection because that's profoundly impossible. His mind couldn't grasp it. And so you'll see that he basically cut and pasted his own Bible, only taking out the moral and reasoning uh, and philosophical reasoning parts of the, the four Gospels after excluding all the miraculous and supernatural. Wow. When he did that, though, he extracted one of the most powerful miracles that authenticates the uniqueness of the Bible, and that's the miracle of a changed life. The miracle of a changed life. As we saw, we've seen how God has uniquely worked miraculously for people to be the mouthpiece or the scribe of things that God wanted to communicate and have preserved for us today. But God is constantly speaking into the lives of men and women, boys and girls, now, and last year, a hundred years ago, and a millennium ago, and several thousands of years ago. God is in the process of communicating so that he can reach down and impart something of himself to simple human beings. One of the most prolific writers, as you know, count the number of books, maybe not the actual number of pages, but if you count the number of books, the most prolific writer, inspired writer, is the Apostle Paul. Paul talked about himself in 1 Corinthians 15. We'll not go there, but you can turn to Philippians chapter 3. But in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8 to 10, Paul basically was saying, hey, I'm the least of the apostles. You know why? Because I started being in opposition to this whole thing, to the point that it resulted in people dying. He looked at himself humbly and brokenly in his former life and really said, it's only by the grace of God I am what I am. And alongside of that, it's interesting in Philippians chapter 3 that Paul talks about himself in his former life and all the things that were going for him. Like, almost like if there was anybody that really should have been used by God, it should have been the apostle Paul prior to his conversion. I mean, look, he was circumcised the eighth day, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the, as the law, a Pharisee, as the zeal, a persecutor of the church, as the righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those I counted lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Powerful testimony of a miraculously changed life, turned from a persecutor to one of God's greatest servants and most prolific contributors to the canon of Scripture. You know, Paul says he wants to know Christ. It's interesting when we think about it. Obviously, the concept of inspiration is God communicating so that we can understand him, but I want to balance this out is that as much as we know and as much as we're blessed to know by these books, there is this aspect of God's character. It's called his inscrutability. That means God is beyond knowing. 
in many, many other ways that we, we can't comprehend. That is to humble us as we come to the Word, because we may know after these two years a lot more about the Bible than we've ever known. But the question is, will we know a lot more about God? That was such a challenge to me when I was going to Bible college, to, to not get so academic in the Bible, but to make it something that's living, as it says it is. It's a living and powerful thing. It has the ability to penetrate and, and cut us deeply between the thoughts and the intentions, the attitudes and the motives of our own heart, and to lay us bare so that we can also know ourselves as much as know God. You see, there's also the miracle of changed lives in all the rest of us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be seized, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, or effeminate, or homosexuals, thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God wonderful thing that we have is testimony turn over to first peter chapter one and we can just look at it. it says for you have been born again not a seed which is perishable but imperishable that is through the living and abiding word of god isn't that a powerful statement god spoke the whole creation into being but when god spoke to my heart he changed me on the most essential level he turned me from being a person desperately, hopelessly on my way to hell into being his very son adopted into his family with all the benefits and privileges that come with that. By the word of God, First Peter says. I think this poll is a little dated, but I put it up anyway. George Barna had a poll on religious experience several years ago. So 50, 53% of those polled, and it wasn't just church-going people, it was kind of people out there that, did, that basically qualify, have you ever read the Bible, any part of it, cover to cover, any amount of it? 53% of those polled who have read the Bible said it had been helpful in their spiritual growth and understanding. That makes you worry about the other 47%, <laughs> don't you? I mean, you know, since Laura was giving some math, math challenges this morning, I, I figured out it all by myself. But what happened to the rest of those people? Again, it's not whether we have this in our possession, whether we're possessed by it through the Spirit of God. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But you might remember that there is a kind of a, a sequence of things that happened before that in Romans chapter 10. Paul's talking about the fact that before somebody can hear, there has to be somebody sent. And before someone is sent, you know, there's this message that has to be preached. Notice verse 13. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. There's this whole progression, and ultimately that progression of people believing and having a faith transaction, it starts with a message that's preached. And the message, Paul said earlier, is not human, it's divine. It comes from the very mouth of God himself. You know, we're talking about tools. I'm going to add one more. I was at my mom and dad's this week. 
caregiver's family that's there was on vacation. So I went down, make sure they could go to a doctor's appointment. I was working upstairs, didn't have very good Wi-Fi connection to work. And I hear my mom and dad putting on this audio Bible. I wouldn't have thought anything about it because there's lots of audio Bibles. But this is a really a tool I would like to recommend. I, I ended up, because my mom had problems with her iPad, and she lost her bookmark in the app. So I got into it. But it's called the Bible.si. It's an app. You can get on your phone, your iPad, whatever. It's produced by a company called faithcomesbyhearing.com. And one of the things that they mentioned, which I think is very important, is that we talk about the blessing of reading, of having words, of having a printed page. But there are large percentages of the world today that are illiterate. And so the purpose of this ministry is to get the Bible out so people can actually hear it. You can listen online. You also can follow along if you want to read as you listen. It's got music behind it. You can take the music out. There's all kinds of things you can do with the app. But the really neat thing about themselves discussion is that there's also visual things out, especially when we talked about the deaf. And they have the Jesus film translated in 1,200 languages. Uh, they have the Bible in 1,800-plus languages digitally. And I think this is an amazing thing because those people need to be reached as well. It's great if we have Wycliffe trying to translate. Very long process. But the kingdom can move forward as people hear the word of God in their language. I encourage you to look it, look it up, listen to it. The wonderful thing, in closing, Paul said that the Jews seek after a sign and the Greeks follow after wisdom. Look, Paul says, we don't accommodate any of that. We preach a divine communication, a message from God's mouth to our ears in its foolishness to the world, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God to salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Father, for loving us enough to want to relate to us, to speak to us, to be intimate, to communicate, to show yourself, to reveal. Thank you that you call us close, even as a father would pull a child upon his knee to tell a story or share a word. You want, you long, even since the very first family, you long to walk and to talk with us in the cool of the day. Thank you that uh, your spirit does that work no matter where we are, whether we have a special time, whether it's a, an inopportune time, whether it's in the midst that we just need to reach out to you and know that you hear us, that you can speak to us. You've given us the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand and combine spiritual thoughts, spiritual words, so that daily miracles can happen in our lives. Pray, Father, that as we go forward in this study that you would help us to really appreciate the many blessings that we have right here in our congregation, the many bountiful gifts. And, Father, we'd also be moved to, to maybe be involved in these ministries of doing their part to get, to send, to send the preacher out, to get the message out by all means. We pray your kingdom would come, your will would be done. 
on earth, even as it is in heaven. Praise the Lord.